It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. This time of year should be festive. It should be exciting. Unfortunately, for four families of slain students in Moscow, Idaho, they still don't have any answers to uh, the brutal questions that they have been asking for weeks now. Luckily, one of Fox News' finest new reporters is there in Idaho. She's been gathering information. Uh, She's incredibly curious. She's brilliant. And she will not stop until she gets the answer to the story. Alexis McAdams, welcome to Kennedy Saves the World. Thank you for having me. So tell me, how long have you been in Idaho? I know you have had a chance to talk with the coroner, with the chief of police. What is the mood there among people that you talk to, particularly students, and are they worried for their safety? Yeah, at this point, you know, I think students are, are, some of them had already left campus because it was right around Thanksgiving when all of this had happened. So they had gone home for Thanksgiving break and then just started doing their remote learning because they were not looking forward to going back to campus knowing that this case was not solved. Now we're nearing a winter graduation uh, here in town, which is this weekend. So there's some families here. And then most of those families we've talked to say their kids are going home around Christmas break and not planning on coming back and will do remote learning. So it really is a different vibe on campus. Um, what was, you know, a fun area with so many bars is now turned to still be this part of a crime scene in a timeline that there still are not many answers to. The families have told us, too, that they're hopeful that they can crack this case. But some of those family members are also getting frustrated by the lack of information that has been out there. And what did the uh, what did the chief of police have to say to you in terms of why it's been so difficult uh, determining motive and suspects? with so much evidence that they have poured over and so many tips that they have received. Why, why is this so difficult in an age where, you know, people are used to having crimes like this solved pretty quickly, at least narrowed down? And they, they were fast to say that it was a crime of passion. And then they, they had to walk that back. Um, where are they now? And what did the chief of police say about so many of those unknowns? Well, so the chief of police, the the main takeaway from him was, you know, just I have to say how emotional he got in the interview. You know, we we saw him in the one press conference and he wasn't able to give too much information. And this interview, when we sat down with him inside of his office, Kennedy, he just broke down through tears telling me this case is personal for him and and assuring the families and the public they're doing everything they can to track the killer down in this case. In terms of why they can't say if this a man or a woman, if the person left on foot from the scene, what you know, more specifics about how many stab wounds these innocent kids had. He says it's because simply they don't want the killer to know what they know. And he did reassure us on camera and off camera that investigators have more evidence than people are giving them credit for. So he feels like they're on the right path with this. And he says if they run into something where they're not getting any more tips or they're losing, you know, faith in the investigation and they don't have anything, that's when he says they would come forward and give out more information. But they did just give out a make and model of a car that they're looking for that was parked near the crime 
crime scene around the time of the murders. Um, so now they are kind of letting some of this evidence trickle out or more questions trickle out. So it leaves you to wonder, you know, what what do they have and what don't they have? So have you um, have you read the report from Jim Clemente? He's the former FBI profiler. And he thinks that the suspect is a younger man who is familiar with um, using a knife and perhaps worked as a butcher. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that I did look at that. And, you know, everybody has their theories and he, you know, talked about all his experience. He would know so much about a case like this. And I've talked to some forensic specialists, too, who say that they would think that this person would have really had to know the home, know that they didn't think anybody was going to be able to, one, fight back um, or two, even be up at the time. Um, so, you know, I think everybody has their theories. I do have to say here and kind of do you would know being, you know, across the country, talking to so many people and being in communities, these people here hunt, they fish. So it's not uh, odd for somebody to have a knife like that. They kept talking about the specific type of the knife at that first press conference. But now the investigators have told me that you can buy a knife like this at the local Walmart, which I saw for 20 bucks. And a lot of these people have them because they go out and they use it to cut rope or they use it to do our outdoor activities. So for a lot of us, it's odd that somebody would have a knife like this. But for people in this community, I'm told it, it's really not that uncommon. No, I mean, I grew up in Oregon and, you know, it's like if, if you're doing anything yeah outside, you know, the first thing you need if you're going into nature is a blade. So that part isn't unusual. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are parts of it that just they they don't sit right. You know, that's why this case continues Mm -hmm. to garner attention, because you have six people sleeping in a house, two of them on the ground floor who apparently weren't awakened by four people who were being slaughtered in their sleep. And, you know, Mm -hmm. they're they're so many discrepancies and and even one of the parents said you know my daughter's manner of death was different than her friend her roommate who was sleeping next to her so you've got three types of people who are invested in solving this crime you've obviously got law enforcement which you know they're doing their best they're under a massive microscope Uh, people are very quick to point fingers and lay blame for what we don't know yet and, you know, they're, they're quick in this day and age to assume that they have already botched the investigation. So you've got law enforcement. You've got the people in the community who want to make sure that you know, a psychotic killer is not on the loose mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, it's not going to target them next. So you've got people who live there. They know these kids. It's a college town. People have family members that, uh, you know, have probably gone to school there and work at the school. And so it's very emotional for them. And then you have the Internet sleuths and and the people who um, ever since really the Casey Anthony case have made it their life's work to follow cases like this and try to solve them as armchair uh, forensics experts. So of these three groups of people, is there anything they can agree on so far? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that there's more questions than answers at this point or something all of them uh, would agree on because they know, you know, the police know they're being tight lipped and 
they're going to start releasing, they say, more press releases with actually video statements from the police because they know there's a lot of frustration. But yeah, I think, you know, there's just so many different theories, like you mentioned, even coming from somebody that's so highly skilled talking about um, a theory about if the person, how comfortable were they with the knife? But something that most of the people agree on, I can't speak for investigators, but the people we've talked to on the ground do believe this is somebody who had knowledge of that house, who knew these people pretty well. And this was not a random, uh, you know, a random house that this person chose. You can also park right behind the house. We talked about when you look at the layout, you know, there are, there's some woods, but the woods are so there's really not much to those. It's the parking lot to us. And some of the investigators we've talked to that stuck out because now that they're mentioning this car too, you can park right behind it and see directly into the home. Um, and they never said if the person left on foot or, or left in a vehicle yet. Man. All right. We got more of this interview after this. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. I mean, it, there are so many things that, you know, I, I've, I did a podcast with Christina Corbin, uh, What About Holly? That was her podcast, and I interviewed her about it. And, you know, just they did not have any... Um, forensic systems back in, you know, the early 80s when those murders occurred. But now, given all the tools that we have, and, you know, I'm sure federal law enforcement has uh, has chimed in here as well with resources and guidance, um, it's, it's hard to believe that they don't know that if the person walked away, if the person drove away, you know, it's like this kind of crime... You've got four people and it's so bloody and, you know, that Mm -hmm. it's awful for us as lay people, as civilians, but for people who do this for a living, there is a much larger, there's a wealth of information that it's frustrating for us that, that we don't know what they've tapped into and perhaps it would help the case if, if they were, a little bit more open with what they've got. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about the the suspects that they have cleared because there's the boyfriend, uh, there's the Uber driver, um, there is the creepy neighbor and the, uh, the two roommates downstairs who were untouched and who apparently slept through the whole thing. Why have all of those people been cleared? Well, so according to investigators um, and, and the chief, I asked him about that when I talked to him. I said, you know, what goes into clearing somebody? And he said, well, I want everybody to know that we really do our due diligence. We're talking hours and hours of investigation and interviews to find out exactly where these people were. So he said they feel very confident at the time when they say that these people aren't involved. But then the investigators will tell you, too, that just because somebody's cleared doesn't mean they're completely off the table. They can be reinvestigated and a new tip could bring them right back into the center of the spotlight. So that kind of is twofold there, too. Are they clear? Are they still on the table? And could anyone really be cleared, Kennedy, when you don't have a murder behind bars yet isn't everybody you know being looked at as a suspect until they have someone would be my question yes everyone has elements of guilt and you know that's mm-hmm. unfortunately because we have very active imaginations that have been filled with years of crime shows and you know true crime podcasts and documentaries and, and series on netflix that 
inform us and inform those imaginations. So then we start to create our own narratives out of this vacuum of information. And I don't think that is entirely helpful. And, you know, I, I look at the creepy neighbor who went and did a bunch of media appearances and it talked about how he was kind of annoyed at the house because they, they were loud and, and played music and made his dog bark. Um, and I understand that. And if he's totally innocent, I feel so bad for the guy because the the internet sleuths have really homed in on him and, and have made him, you know, this this potential suspect. Definitely. And I think I talked to some people, too, who didn't, you know, they had been interviewed by different um, digital outlets and different newspapers. And they were so upset and didn't want to even me to mention their name in the reporting. But they had given me good information about the night of the food truck. But the guy said, oh, I went forward to police. I talked about how I saw the girls, you know, at the food truck and uh, some of the things he thought were suspicious. But he goes, I don't even want to talk or say anything anymore to help the case in, in the public eye, because then people say I'm creepy. They tell me I'm a murderer, said people were inboxing him on his LinkedIn. So it's like you want to come forward and help, but you don't want to put your name out there because you don't know what people are going to do with it. And that's what happened with this car, too. They started looking to see who owns a white Hyundai Elantra in that area. And then people start posting your name on Reddit. I mean, in such, it's such a case like this. It's hard too for the family because then they hear those people's names surface. So they get all excited like, oh, is this the person? And then they drop too because it ends up not being the case. And that is a hindrance because you want people to come mm -hmm. forward because it could be the tiniest tip. It could be, you know, I saw her with this person. I saw them on this street corner. I saw them at the 24-hour CVS. And, you know, that that could be one person with one fraction of a second that could lead to some sort of video that police will be able to pull someone out, pull them in, grab them by the, the collar and give them a good dressing down. Just like the old days. That's right. Yeah. And exactly. And I think that is what, according to police, they just need one, you know, one more tip, one person to come forward. Maybe it's a selfie they took at a frat party and you see this person in the background. I mean, anything can help. And the same thing, we went into the Idaho State Police Crime Lab yesterday and the forensic scientist said, we are looking for a single, you know, fingerprint. It could be a hair. It could be a drop of blood. It's something so small. DNA possibly under the girl's finger, uh, fingernails. It could be anything that could crack this case. And they're still processing, processing that evidence. So hopefully they've got something good in the can and we'll be hearing an update soon. What does your gut tell you? I think that they're closer than people are giving them credit for. I think that it is somebody who knew these girls well um, and somebody who had been in that house before. And I think police, you know, may have already questioned them. They've questioned, they say, hundreds of people, um, including students that had gone home for break. They, they had investigators go to other states and talk to them. So I think they feel pretty confident about the people they're looking for. And they did take DNA swabs, we were told by sources, from the people they interviewed. So maybe they're just waiting for something to hit or maybe they're waiting for something, uh, you know, somebody's alibi to have a little crack in it. And that's why they just need somebody to mention, like you mentioned, I saw this person at this place and maybe that will be what they can nail him on because you never know uh, what could be that final clue. Yeah. No, he used to stare at her when we were in statistics class and I knew that he had a crush on her and she wouldn't give him the time of day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's absolutely exactly. something like that. But if it's someone they knew, someone who knew the house, that drastically narrows down the number of people that would be yeah of interest to the police. I really hope for these family's sakes that 
you know, it's like one of the guys was a, a triplet and his siblings go to the university. It's so like it's heartbreaking. Like when when you read the the details of their lives and, you know, it's like their families have just been flattened and destroyed and they have to go through their first holiday without this person with all these questions looming. And you just you hope and pray that there is some justice some break in the case uh before the holidays hit exactly and and kaylee gonsalves's dad had told us that they never had a a funeral for her because they were afraid that this killer uh could have attended it because they think it was somebody that was close to the girls so they couldn't even you know have the full grieving process and yesterday they were able to get some of the girls belongings from inside of the home but you know it's you don't want to have it really any of the memories from from that home it's just they don't want to go near there and it's uh it's just a horrible situation for these kids that had so much life ahead of them well, hopefully justice prevails and we'll know sooner rather than later. Uh, keep reporting from there, Alexis, and we'll keep tuning in. It's so great to see you on Fox News. And thank you for being a part of the podcast. Thank you for having me. Stay safe. Stay awesome. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. I'm Kennedy. For more podcasts from my friends at Fox, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.